Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... Mm -hmm. We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. Sage, you've had time to break it all down. You've looked at all the All-22 tape, and I've got a few questions for you. But first, the Minnesota Vikings are playing at Lambeau Field this week, and I want to ask you if you know your career statistics at Lambeau Field. Well, that is a very good question. I I believe I played at Lambeau. uh, I believe I played on teams that played there, I think, four times. I'm not positive on that. And I believe my career statistics there were 0 for 2. Uh, This would have been in... 2002, uh, I was with the Miami Dolphins, and, and Jay Fiedler, who was our starter, had gotten hurt uh, the week or so before. Ray Lucas, uh, who was the backup, was starting the game, and I was the third string, so I was moved up to number two. Ray got hurt. I came in, uh, I believe, near the end of the second quarter. North Turner was my offensive coordinator. Mike Shula was my quarterback's coach. Uh, my first pass, I believe was to Chris Carter, or maybe that was my second pass. I don't know. But Chris Carter was on our team, you know, during that time. He, we had just signed him. So, yes, I believe 0 for 2. You are so close. It was 0 for 3. But oh, that's, well, even worse. That, that is an <laughs> Im- impressive amount of detail. Well, your quarterback rating at that time was higher than Nathan Peterman's was last week. So you're still good. Um, yeah, is it is it thirty nine point seven or something? Is sort of like if you don't complete a pass, at yeah. least I didn't throw any interceptions. You know? Yes, thirty nine point three, and uh, Nathan Peterman's was zero point zero. So you yeah. you at least had had a better day than him. What is it like to go into that stadium to look around all the history there? I mean, does it matter to you guys, or is it just another field with grass on it? No, it, it's cool. You, you, you know, as an NFL player, and particularly myself, you know, I grew up watching a lot of football and following the NFL. And you know, when you're going to the stadiums that have uh, sort of special history and, 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 you know, a lot of great games and historic games have played there. And, uh, you know, Lambeau, of, of all the NFL stadiums, it's sort of the stadium that has the most history. So, yeah, you know, when you're walking to a special place, I mean, there's there's interesting aspects about playing in Dallas just because it's huge. It's the Jerry Dome. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be a primetime game. 
but there's something sort of, uh, you know, wholesome or, or salt of the earth, you know, something uh, when you go into Lambo and, and, you know, the, the small town feel you're driving through neighborhoods to, to get to the stadium. People are parked uh, in, you know, people's driveways and on people's yards. <laughs> yep. It sort of reminds me of like a college atmosphere in a lot of ways. And I tell you what, and I don't know, I mean, Vikings fans have their own view of it, but from my perspective, actually some of the friendliest fans around the league, I'm sure they're not all friendly, but, you know, believe me, compared to the Philadelphia Eagles fans in which they actually tell your family members to not wear your jersey or or the away team's colors, you know, when you walk into the stadium, uh, the people from Green Bay are pretty dang nice. Yeah, I was able to see that in Philly up close for the NFC Championship game last year. And uh, we tried on the radio to warn people, the media, that it was on TV. If you're going to the game, don't wear your purple. People ignored that and got full beers thrown in their direction. So, yeah, that that is not going to happen to them uh, this week in Green Bay. And it is, and as I said, it's a, it's a special place, that field, and I, I love the fact that they keep it grass. I know it gets beat up at the end of the year, but, you know, like I was just at the Iowa State game this past week and obviously following my Cyclones and playing at Iowa, right? So, you know, the state of Iowa, we feel like we can we're – the, we're the agriculture state. We feel like we can grow anything anywhere, and yet Iowa has an artificial turf uh, field, turf field, you know? So I'm like, man, I, I wish they could have grass here. It just seems like – in the Midwest, you should be playing football on grass. And so I do love the fact that uh, outdoors at Lambeau, they do, they do keep that a grass field, even if it gets beat up at the end of the year. Although I would say about Soldier Field, maybe turf that thing, right? That, well, that I think that's, horrible. well, I, I, or not have the city of Chicago uh, <laughs> responsible for it. I think that's probably the number one problem is that the city of Chicago is responsible for keeping up Soldier Field. Well, that's just, it's just not going to be done you know, as well. So uh, yeah, that, that, that's another issue. So, but yeah, Green, uh, Green Bay and, and Lambeau, it's a special place. Uh, my, my, one of my fondest memories obviously was in that uh, 2009 season when Favre was, uh, you know, coming back to Lambeau for the first time. And, mm-hmm. and I always made it a point and I get to tell the story every once in a while. I made it a point when we ran out of the tunnel for the first time for warmups that I made sure I ran right behind Brett Favre because I just knew There'd be a lot of cameras, a lot of pictures being taken, a lot of video being taken of Favre sort of re-entering Lambeau Field. And, and sure enough, I have a great picture uh, at home here uh, with me running right behind him, wearing my number two and him, him his number four. Man, that's awesome. Do you remember what that was like, the lead-up to that week and, and just what Brett was going through, knowing that he was coming back? Well, and, and you could tell uh, – Brett took certain games a little more serious. You know, the guy that was, he tried to be the sort of happy-go-lucky, you know, sort of screwed around a little bit and, you know, joyful guy. But you could tell in games like that, he was just a little more serious throughout the week, Uh, spent more time watching films, spent more time on Friday, staying later and later and later in the day. And actually, in that game, before the game in the locker room, he was extremely nervous. I mean, hand-shaking you know, type of nervous and, and, uh, you know, it'd be something I sort of never forget sitting next to him in the locker room and, and, uh, just witnessing how you know, I almost thought he was going to have like a physical breakdown. He was, uh, it wasn't because he was nervous, uh, that, you know, we were going to lose or whatever. I, I think it had more to do with, you know, he had had so many crazy games, uh, in that stadium that, uh, you know, he, I think he felt this pressure to sort of live up to being Brett Favre at Lambeau Field and trying to do something really special that night. And, 
and he played great. Uh, he played almost a perfect game. Uh, we won. It was a really good ball game. It was sort of early Aaron Rodgers, obviously, and uh, Jared Allen got to him uh, a number of times. Our defense played really, really well, and uh, th- that was obviously a huge, huge win for us about midseason. Man, what was it about Brett that made him able to do that, it seemed like? when Whenever there was some sort of big conversation about him and he was in the, the spotlight, he kind of always was, but when it was elevated, and I'm thinking of that game in Oakland, you know, when his dad passes away, and that was one of my favorite sports memories ever was watching him do that. It just seems like some guys have a knack for that, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, he didn't play the game fearful, and I think that's – when you're when we, you know, we we talk about or you, you hear all the time, whether it's on ESPN or NFL Network, we're talking about these young quarterbacks. I get interviewed throughout the week. You know, what did you think of uh, Sam Darnold last night? Young rookie QB, this, that, and the other. When you can find guys that aren't scared uh, to make mistakes, and that's really really important. You know, we, we talk about trying to get these quarterbacks to execute the offense well and eliminate mistakes, and and I feel like sometimes you. Yeah, you, you sort of put them in this really conservative mode mm-hmm. in which then they never sort of loosen up and make plays. And the great quarterbacks are the ones, I mean, you, you talk about Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, even Tom Brady. Those guys aren't really scared to make mistakes. They're looking for opportunities uh, to make positive things happen. So when Brett played, I don't think he looked at, you know, oh, man, this coverage is not good for the route combination. I felt like he was always trying to uh, figure out a way to make a positive play or a big play uh, every time he put the ball in his hands. Man, that's exactly what I liked in college about two of the young quarterbacks that came out, Mahomes and Sam Darnold, that both of them seemed to have that baller type of mentality that they weren't afraid. And and sometimes with Darnold, as we saw against Detroit, that led to a pick six of him throwing the ball across the field. And I'm sure with Patrick Mahomes at times that he's going to have that. But both of those guys just have like a different sort of moxie to them than most other young quarterbacks. Yeah, and over the course of their career, they're going to throw a lot of pick sixes. They're going to lose football games. They're going to lose probably playoff football games uh, because of them making a mistake. But they'll be much better off, in my opinion, uh, of going out there and trying to be uh, more of a playmaker. You know, I, when I was with Christian Ponder in New York at the end of my career, he was a guy that was really scared to make a mistake. He mm-hmm. really just was trying to execute the offense so badly that he never really let it loose and let his – natural talent let you know go he was actually a fairly good thrower and he was a good athlete but i feel like he could never really quite let it go he didn't want to make a mistake and and he was sort of overly just trying to execute and and Favre was a great executor for sure uh but when when something wasn't there man the guy could really make some things happen if you have never seen the john gruden sit down with brett Favre, i suggest that everyone watch it it's it's so good because he talks about his mentality and stuff like that and the throws that he believed in himself that he could make where you know usually it's uh, i think he was talking about like uh, like a cover two and you're not supposed to throw it right in front of the safety but he didn't care because he knew he could make that throw so it's uh, it's really interesting if you get a chance um well, well Favre's Favre's really good about understanding how the defense was gonna move uh based off of the offense action you know when you line up under center you got to run to your left uh, he understand that all those linebackers, as soon as the ball was snapped and the entire line and tight ends and backs were all going to their left, mm-hmm. that those linebackers were going to shift, uh, I guess, to their right, but to the quarterback's left as well. They're going to go with that flow. 
which then opens up sort of a backside slant. And you sort of saw that he was sort of very early on mm-hmm. one of those quarterbacks that would, you know, sort of a true RPO back in there, run play. Uh, and, and, the, and then he would just sort of tell the receiver, hey, you know, your, your backside here, just run a one-step slant, and I can hit you in that little hole there when that Sam, Sam linebacker is, you know, trying to work his way down the line uh, to stop the run. That's interesting you bring that up because that's in the Gruden sit down with him. That's one of the things that they talk about was kind of the him thinking about that in practice and seeing it and trying to put it in on the fly a little bit during a game. We're just saying to a receiver, hey, if you see this, then run that slant and I'll hit you for it. And uh, and it would work. And his ability to kind of adapt himself out there, uh, it goes beyond like what you're talking about for quarterbacks being afraid. Like it seemed like he was even afraid and unafraid to just go out there and say, you know, I see something on the fly and I'm going to change it, which. Yeah. in, in the world of uh, football coaching, and I think, you know, football coaches are different than uh, basketball coaches or some other sports football coaches, because of just, there's so many players and there's so much execution and uh, so many aspects of the, you know, the team game, even defensively, you know, everybody has to be in the you know, perfect gap assignment. Everyone has to do your job, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but so coaches don't like sort of giving up control uh, but when you coach Brett Favre, you had to realize you're going to have to give up some control. <laughs> he's going to be right, you know, probably eight out of ten times, maybe nine out of ten times. Uh, but the one he's wrong is you're going to want to pull your hair out. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're right so often, the, the players like that. And I believe, you brought up you know, Patrick Mahomes earlier, I do believe that Andy Reid is a, is a perfect guy for him because he is one of those guys with huge talent, uh, you know, athletic ability, but the huge arm, obviously, and looks like so far through one game pretty dang accurate so the worst thing to do to do to Mahomes would be to try to sort of uh, uh you know stick him into a small box and you know be overly uh, a perfectionist on his exact footwork and things like that you know so sort of let the let the boy loose for a while uh and see how he does but you're just gonna have to realize there's gonna be some bumps along the way but in the long run uh you want a quarterback who's always aggressive and that's the way Aaron Rodgers plays I love the comparison to basketball because I remember earlier this year Cheryl Reeve talking about how when Maya Moore shoots a contested shot, it's still a better shot than most people would ever take because she is who she is. And and we saw that from all of the greatest basketball players ever. I mean, Kobe Bryant would be criticized for all the tough shots that he took, but a lot of them went in because he's just so much better at basketball than everybody else. And I'm sure that he would drive Phil Jackson crazy, Michael Jordan, the same thing, but those people are on just a different level. So you have to approach them differently. And I think that Andy Reed was Favre's quarterback coach. Was that right? Yeah. Yep. At at one time early on, I think John Gruden was also on that staff, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of coaches from that tree on that staff. And, and speaking of Green Bay, you know, th- this week's game, uh, which, you know, we'll sort of see what happens with Aaron Rodgers, but I think that's been a big topic of conversation the last couple of days, you know, is how effective is Aaron Rodgers when he sort of has to stay in the pocket and mm-hmm. be more like a, you know, a, a traditional, uh, you know, quarterback, more of a Tom Brady who can't really move around all that much and, and can't make all those plays. I saw a stat that since Aaron Rodgers has been in the league, he has thrown more touchdown passes uh, out of the pocket than anybody else in the NFL, uh, which makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, he's there's just no way. Uh, I just cannot imagine him, you know, sort of being back to you know fully healthy after that injury uh, on Sunday to be fully healthy uh, this weekend. So he's going to be a pocket passer, uh, which is you know to, I, I I'd be really interested to hear about what Mike Zimmer is talking to you know, with his blitzing linebackers and with his D linemen about how they want to, 
know, rush him because before you got to be really careful about Rogers buying extra time. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes that means like not even rushing quite as hard because you don't want to get, you know, past him where then he can step up and move around and make things happen. Uh, but now he can't really go anywhere. So you got to think they're talking about really trying to collapse that pocket from the inside. Uh, and then with the, you know, Everson Griffin, and the pass rushers on the outside. How is it that Aaron Rodgers is so good at understanding what's going on in front of him with the offensive line and his protection? I mean, it seems like nobody is able to shuffle their feet two steps one way or the other to to get him those extra seconds. Because some quarterbacks, it seems like the rush is just on them all the time. And then with him, he just has that same thing as Tom Brady does where he can find those little holes in the pocket. It's magical. It really is. And uh, is, as much as Viking fans you know, don't love hearing it, the guy is absolutely incredible. There's, there's nothing else like him. Uh, you know, I think he and Brady both have uh, this uh, – you know, they both don't have fear, right? There, there's something about when you're a young guy, uh, when you're a guy trying to earn your stripes, even when you're a guy who's you know, making 16 or $18 million a year and you're one of those sort of you know, 20th, you know, the Andy Dalton types, Ryan Tannehill types, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there is this fear of screwing up, you know, holding the ball too long, uh, you know, trying, you know, know, the sack fumble concern, but guys like uh, guys like Brady and guys like Aaron Rodgers just don't have that concern of sort of failure and screwing up. And so that allows them to, you know, be a little more free and they've been doing it for so long that, you know, Aaron Rodgers pocket movement, ability to slide around and, 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 and sometimes it's on purpose. I, I truly believe when it's third and 10 plus, if his first read is not there, he's not going to check the ball down. He's going to then try to buy time. It's almost like a Hail Mary. And you hope that, especially versus zone coverage, that when your guys can just sort of pop open, that they say the longer you hold on to the ball versus zone coverage, uh, the, you have a much, much better chance of somebody coming open at some time. And I think he's been uh, you know, making a, a nice little niche of, of doing that. Very untraditional because the, the, the quarterbacks coach, the coordinators say, hey, you're going to go high to low on this. You're going to go deep, you know, with the X on the end route or the comeback route and then, you know, down to your check downs. Well, he knows on third longs those check downs a lot of times aren't going to get first down. So he'll find a, wide, a, a way to buy time and, and try to then work the, work the ball down the field for a first down somewhere else. Yeah, Harrison Smith talked about that today and just how difficult that can be to keep track of somebody when you're talking about three, four seconds, five seconds. And uh, we even saw a little of that from Case Keenum last year with just buying time and, and finding someone down the field. Um, Sage, I want to ask you what you saw in some of the uh, All-22 tape that comes out with different angles where you could see every player and, and what I've discovered since I've started watching the All-22 tape a few years ago is it is a different game when you watch what everybody did than when you watch on TV or you watch the broadcast back or even when you're there at the game when you can go back and look for, for each guy. So there was a couple plays that stuck out to me that I wanted to run by you. The one you wrote about for The Athletic, because you are a media darling now these days <laughs> and, every, and everybody wants you, um, but uh, the touchdown to Kyle Rudolph, that looked like a play to me that Zach Ertz did a lot. That same route where he turns his shoulders one way, flips back around to gain some leverage on the safety for a touchdown. What did you see on that one? Well, you, you know, there's the, the tight end. Uh, the, probably the most common route a tight end runs is what they call a stick route. It's a sort of a four-yard, five-yard quick out route. Uh, it's great versus... Uh, zone coverage it's great versus inside leverage linebackers generally in sort of a too high safety look 
Um, and in this situation, what they call it, they call it a stick nod. Well, he comes off the ball. He runs that sticker out, that quick five-yard out. And in particular on the goal line where teams try to play the front of the goal line, you know, the safeties, the linebackers, they're really trying to sort of picket fence there across the goal line. So he gets the the safety, number 29, I can't think of his name, for the, for the 49ers to stop his feet to sort of come up on that stick route. He has to play that stick route aggressively. You, you can't really tackle him after the fact. This is, you know, in the end zone, basically. Kyle runs a really nice stick route. Uh, makes it look just like the real thing, and then the nod or the sort of the stick and go, and then he you know uh, uh, it turns up vertically almost like a seam route. And now if that was versus a cover two look, he would have had to then cross the safety's face and come inside. But in a single safety look, he actually keeps it away from that free safety sort of underneath the goalpost area and then up the seam. And there's just no way once you get that defender to stop his feet, you're sort of even and then you're leaving. Uh, and so, you know, once Kyle Rudolph, you know, basically was even with him and the defender has to turn his head, it's over. You just got to throw it up and be, make an accurate throw. Kirk Cousins does that. And, and we saw what we saw uh, a lot uh, over the last couple of years, Kyle Rudolph, uh, you know, catching red zone touchdown passes. Yeah, I'm really uh, blown away by his ability to go up. Well, go up just using his body. He's not much of a jumper, but it seems like anything in his area using his size and his length that he's able to get it. And I think that one thing we don't really appreciate him for because he really catches everything and you just expect that is the fact that he catches everything that he had one drop all of last season. It was a, and you remember it was a play in Carolina where it just kind of went through his hands. But I mean, for a tight end to have the size that he has and the hands, it's, it's, I think that he is a key part of this offense, not just in the red zone stage, but also I noticed watching the game back, how much, John D. Filippo moved him around. He was sometimes on the line of scrimmage, sometimes in the slot, sometimes as an outside wide receiver. And it seems like he's going to be kind of the linchpin of uh, this offense in that way. Even though he comes away with one catch, he's still uh, being used in so many different ways. Yeah, the, the tight end is such a vital position. Uh, and I, I really do think he and Carlson are, are, are a really nice combination. They're both pretty good blockers. And they both do a pretty good job in the passing game. And, you know, John Filippo, he likes to, and coming from Philly, and usually coordinators sort of go off what their most recent job was, right? If you had success somewhere, you're not going to, you know, wholesale change the offense that you just had success in when you go to a new team. So, right. you know, you got to think, we, we, and we're going to be talking about this all year, you know, uh, Zach Ertz and that Philly offense. And we'll probably, even Vikings fans probably should, you know, study that uh, Philly offense a little bit when when they're watching. The Vikings are going to do a lot of those same things, and so the tight end's important because uh, you know they're they can get a big advantage. One, they can get a big advantage on those linebackers and and you know sort of cover two situations where teams are doubling the outside guys, uh, you know, Thielen and Diggs. Uh, but number two, uh, especially if you put a tight end sort of by himself, it'll, many times the the defense will sort of tell you what they're in if they're in man to man. You're going to have a strong safety or a linebacker, mm-hmm. usually a strong safety lined up over the tight end. And then the, 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 the two cornerbacks will then you know, go over to the slot side and cover your wide receiver. So uh, it's a great key as a quarterback when you walk up to the ball, you got tight end on one side and the receivers on the other side. Is it man? Is it zone? You know, Sometimes there's audibles that go on that, but definitely helps in your read. It's, it's hard sometimes to tell the difference between cover three and man-to-man pre-snap anymore. A lot of times even that cover three zone look 
uh, the, the, the cornerbacks will be bumped and then bailed. So you can't always tell. But uh, if, you, if you walk up to the ball and the, the corners don't go over and you now have Richard Sherman covering uh, you know, Kyle Rudolph and you've got a strong safety over the slot, you know that's some sort of zone coverage. That's a big advantage for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seemed like they were using Rudolph in many different ways, motions, things like that. Um, that that I think Pat Shermer was effective with. I think San Francisco and their offense was effective with. As part of being a modern offense, you need that tight end to show you things and to get you mismatches because even on that same play where he's a wide receiver and Richard Sherman is lined up over him, well, I mean, Sherman is a pretty strong guy, but the normal cornerback, you might have some trouble there facing off with a six foot six, 250 pound tight end. So you might have, uh, you might have that advantage, but um... yeah, there's, there's some aspects of Kyle Rudolph's game uh, that are similar to Gronkowski. Now, now he's not Gronk, right. uh, but there are definitely some aspects to it. The sort of the catch radius as, as sort of the term goes nowadays, he can catch everything. We, we've, we've seen Kyle Rudolph all the years, you know, catch balls by his knees and his ankles and to, you know, probably almost to, you know, 10 feet high, going up in the back of the end zone. He was a great high school basketball player for people who don't know. So his catch radius is great. He doesn't have this sort of extreme, you know, four, four, five, four, five speed rolling down the field, but he does cover more ground than people realize. He's such a big guy. And again, just the ability to put the ball in the area. And it seems like for the most part, Kyle Rudolph comes down with it. Well, Sage, I'm really glad that Ray Lucas and Jay Fiedler came up on today's podcast, and I would love to continue this streak of random backup or journeyman quarterbacks who come up. Ray Lucas was great on Madden, dude. I mean, if you used him, that was like pre-Michael Vick on Madden, but you could take Ray Lucas and put him in there, and he was dangerous. He, I tell you what, Ray was a good player. You know, He's a big Parcells guy, so that was his, his roots. He was a Rutgers quarterback. Uh, played for Parcells for the New York Jets. So, you know, originally, you go back to actually, I, I was with the Patriots, I think, but he was on, uh, he was a special teams player slash quarterback. Was it Jets? Uh, during, during parts of his career. Yeah, well, the Jets, but they was in the Super Bowl. So I think he was also with the Patriots hmm. uh, when they went to the Super Bowl back in the, uh, the Drew Bledsoe uh, days. And so, yeah, Ray was, you know, he was a piece of work and he does a lot of commentating out there in New York, New Jersey. And, uh, uh, you know, he was a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, and had great speed, and all you had to do was just roll outside and just take off. <laughs> and then whoever you were playing hated you for using Ray Lucas. So I'm, I'm really glad. Anytime, I used all those guys. Seneca Wallace was another guy. Like if there was, oh yeah, that's my that's my Iowa State guy. Yeah, right. If there's if there's anybody with speed, then you're using him in some sort of package. It was, I love how, like, the real NFL is copying what I used to do on Madden. Like, Lamar Jackson's going to be part of packages. It's like, oh, dude, I've been doing that with Ray Lucas since 99. I think <laughs> Bel- Belichick was studying your old, uh, your old games. That's, <laughs> that's right. Happened. He's seen all the tape of everything, including video games. So, Sage, awesome stuff. As always, we will connect again next Monday to break down what happened in Green Bay. Thank you uh, for another great episode, and thank you for listening, all of you, to the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.